This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hot Stove 2020. We are back and getting ready for the new baseball season coming up. I'm Rick Riz along with Gary Hill, and Dan, the man, Wilson, is here. And Gary has uh, put together a heck of a show tonight. We're going to visit with uh, Mariners first baseman Evan White uh, here in the first uh, hour. Evan White uh, has himself a very interesting brand-new six-year major league contract. Here's a kid that was at AA last year. But I tell you what, uh, the Mariners organization, Jerry Depoto, really loved this kid for who he is as a person, along with being an outstanding ball player. So we're going to visit with uh, Evan White in the first hour. And, Gary, we got a lot of other interesting guests as well. We're going to visit with the new uh, head trainer for the Mariners, Kyle Torgerson, who's a local kid. Yeah. Grew up in Edmonds, went to the University of Washington, played baseball at uh, Bellevue Community College, Bellevue College. So we're going to visit with Kyle as well. And also Brian McTaggart from MLB.com in Houston, and that can be very, very interesting considering the events over the last uh, couple of weeks, down with the Astros, uh, manager being fired, A.J. Hinch, along with the general manager, Jeff Lunau, and uh, Alex Cora being fired with the uh, uh, Boston Red Sox, along with Carlos Beltran, who never did get a chance to manage with the Mets. But there's good news today, the Hall of Fame. Baseball needed that. Derek Jeter going to the Hall of Fame, along with uh, Larry Walker, who's going to go in as a Colorado Rockies, second Canadian to go into the Hall of Fame, along with Ferguson Jenkins. So, Gary... Dan, we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. It's always fun. It's it, you know, it's always a pleasure to be here with you guys. <laughs> yes. As you guys know, I had to get it in early. I'll try to get it in late too. But uh, no, no, it's a, it's an exciting day. Obviously, spring training about three weeks away from reporting pitchers and catchers, so it's it's getting pretty close. And um, you know, this is the time where things really start to heat up, and and uh, it's exciting. And and uh, you know, it kind of yeah. starts with the Hall of Fame and. And uh, seeing a couple guys uh, that, that I played against, it's pretty exciting to see those guys get voted in. Exactly. I I love I I love the videos now that we get when they get the call, like when Larry Walker got the call, because you know it's funny he was following it just like we were. You know he yeah he's online and following, it, and it looked like he was going to fall just a little bit short. But he gets the call, and, I mean, just the emotions. I think he deserved to get in. I'm really glad that he's, he's going in. But yeah. uh, to me, there's just nothing better than that, to get that call and watch you know, all the emotions, not just him, his family in the background. Exactly. What a great moment. He had his French bulldog yeah. with him. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Sponge Bob square pants outfit on. Yeah. I mean, uh, but uh, it doesn't matter if you squeak in. There's nobody in my mind that squeaks in. You get 75% of the vote. You're a Hall sure. of Famer. Or, in the case of Derek Jeter, one guy, one writer didn't vote for him. Almost unanimous. Yeah, it was surprising. Although, I will say, you know, to me, when, when Junior was not a unanimous selection, yes. I was surprised at that as well. And, and uh, so this one didn't surprise me because, it's, you know, the precedent was sort of set. So Mariano still remains, I believe, the only yeah. unanimous choice. The and, only one. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, uh, obviously Jarek was an incredible player for a really long yeah. time and the captain of the Yankees, so, you know, congratulations to him. Exactly. And, Gary, I, I read a story just uh, the other day where I think four people didn't vote for Ty Cobb. Right. Seven didn't yeah. vote for Babe Ruth. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I mean Sandy Koufax uh, was left off, I think, 21 ballots along with Willie Bays. Yeah, I think know, Jackie so. Robinson was 77%. I mean, yeah. you, you go through the years and – yeah. 
And in the modern age, to your point, Dan, if Griffey's not unanimous, it's yeah, hard for me to get worked up yeah. over anyone <laughs> exactly. else's not unanimous yeah. either. Yeah. I so. found out the three guys who didn't vote for him, though. Yeah? Larry, Moe, and Curly. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Good. Yeah. Very good. yeah. That was really good. I know. But it's it's great. It was great to see Derek Jeter and to see all those highlights. And you had to play against the guy. What was, what was that like? Well, you know, he was, uh, I think the thing that sticks out about uh, uh, Derek is just that he was just a steady guy. He was just a steady player. And, and uh, you know, it seemed like uh, just when you thought you had him in some particular way, you thought you could get inside or you thought you could pitch him away, he was just all over it. And, and uh, he's just a steady, steady player. He never knew what he was thinking, uh, but he was always so deep into the game, so so locked in, so focused, and, and uh, just brought, you know, I, again, my sort of definition of a Hall of Famer is a guy that makes people around him better, yeah. and Derek mm-hmm. Jeter did just that. He made everybody around him on that club better. The one thing that I can't – I mean, the numbers just jump off the page, but the thing I can never get past is he essentially played an entire season of mm-hmm. postseason baseball, 158 yeah. postseason games, over 700 and hit plate 300. appearances. That's incredible. That is yeah. unbelievable. But you think about it, you know, five World Series titles. Yeah. From 1996 until uh, 2000, and uh, the 3,465 career base hits. Last hit was an opposite field LBI single to win a ball game in his last game in the big leagues. And then the one play that stands out, and there was many, why in the world was he on the first base line (laughs) when the throw came in from right field, went by the first base, and he was able to get it in the postseason against the Oakland A's to get Jeremy Giambi, trying to score, and the backhanded toss along the first baseline to get Giambi. Yeah. Maybe things are different. Maybe we're playing the Oakland A's instead of the Yankees. Yeah, and, you know, the, it reminded me, as, as you watch that play, it reminded me I once had a chance to watch Wayne Gretzky play hockey, and, and uh, you know, he was he just found a way to be around the puck all the time. Yeah. And that's what that play with, with Derek Jeter reminded me of. And when you're talking about being in the company with Wayne Gretzky, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah. Uh, just they just have a knack to find the ball. They, they they have a knack of being in the right place at the right time. That's what you know great players do, and and uh, that's that's what that play reminds me of. And then Larry Walker, good for Canada, second Canadian. Fergie Jenkins was the first one. I'm ready saying, Oh Canada, right now. I'm, I'm happy for Larry Walker, former Expo, yeah, who became great with uh, the Rockies and also ended up with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, five tool guy, and glad he's in. Yeah, and he he. I don't think he got enough credit for his defense. I mean, you look at his you – know, he, he got the awards, certainly, but we look at the numbers, and he overcame Colorado. Yes. You know, he put up a, a ton of numbers thing, yeah. in Colorado, but was able to overcome it to get into the yeah. Hall of Fame. It'll be interesting to see if that helps Helton down the road, who's does, another right. guy yeah. that put up incredible yeah. numbers in Colorado. But that's going to be something for every guy that spends their career in Colorado, uh, that they'll have to overcome – you know, the stigma right. of playing there, but he was able to do it. And you look at his numbers outside, he nearly went half and half, half yeah, his career on in the Col- road. Colorado, half his career in other places, and he yeah. still put up really great numbers other places too. So I'm glad he was able to get in. Deserves to be in there. Congratulations, yeah. Derek Jeter. Congratulations, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, Marvin Miller, Ken Hall Carrollson going in as a broadcaster this year. He'll be along in there with our very own Dave Niehaus. Glad you join us for uh, Hot Stove tonight. Coming up next, uh, a, a kid that uh, his baseball career is just getting underway, just signed a big six-year contract, Mariners first baseman Evan White. We'll be back with Evan as Hot Stove continues live from our ESPN 710 studios right after this timeout. 
All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot Stove continues live from downtown Seattle. This reminder, the Mariners are changing the game with our new, all-new Flex membership. Go to the games you want, sit in the seats you want, and get the savings you want, all when you want. For more information on how to choose your membership and enjoy discounted seats all season long, visit Mariners.com slash Flex. Rick Riz, along with Gary Hill, along with Dan the Man Wilson, along with a very young and talented first baseman. He's going to get a great opportunity. Just signed a six-year major league contract. Had a chance to visit with him briefly in Arizona in October during the Arizona Fall League. He was just down at gas camp uh a few days ago down in Arizona. Mariners first baseman Evan White joins us. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. Are you still down in Arizona right now? Yes, sir. Uh, house ready. I'm getting some work in. So, yep, uh, enjoying the, the nicer weather for sure. Outstanding. Yeah, we were, Dan and I were just down there for the Mariners uh, fantasy camp having a lot of fun. Tell us a little. First of all, congratulations. Not too many guys well, thank you who get the double A and get a six-year major league contract. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Genesis and, and how that all came about for you. Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. It was obviously, like I said, it's a blessing for me and my family. Um, something that, you know, we didn't necessarily look for. We kind of just kind of fell into our lap and um, definitely took advantage of it. But it was a conversation that my agent had with me earlier on in the year just to, to see if I'd be open to the possibility. Um, and then, yeah, so he, he talked to, to Jerry at the winter meetings, I believe. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, or agent meetings, um, and then he, he kind of told him that he was gonna that we were gonna make the, the offer a thing, and I went back and obviously talked uh, talked over my parents, talked over my wife, and um, prayed a lot about it, and just uh, felt like it was uh, best for me and my family. Evan Dan Wilson, great to hear your voice, and uh, excited to get started down in Arizona with you in a few weeks. But uh, I, first, I want to jump in to congratulate you first for getting married, and um, you know that's <laughs> that's a huge milestone, obviously. Thanks. Uh, the the good news there is that we're, we're we now share an anniversary. So you and I got to hold each other accountable to make sure we don't forget right. <laughs> December fourteenth. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. Lean on each other and uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. There you go. Absolutely. But uh, you know, I, I know the off season's a, a great time. You know, to kind of recharge your battery, get your body going again. Uh, you know, and and now as we get close, uh, you know, we're about three three and a half weeks away from spring training and reporting. Um, I know you're getting, you know, your your mental and physical makeup ready to roll. But is there anything else specifically that you've been working on this particular off season, uh, whether it's defense, offense, uh, you know, part of your swing? Is there anything specific you've been then, you know, kind of honing in on uh, during this off season? Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, the, the mental and physical aspect of it has been huge so far. But uh, this off season, from a you know a playing side, uh, the biggest thing for me defensively is something I talked to to bone about and that's a short mile up a little bit. So um, just make it easier for the shortstop and, and get to them as quick as possible. So they can get it back to me or whoever's covering as quick as possible. So uh, that's been the biggest thing uh, from the defensive side. Um, offensively is really just fine tuning and really uh, building off of what I've been able to do um, the past couple of seasons and continue to learn. And um, I feel like this off season has been the first off season where I've been able to have a really good idea on, on where I'm at and uh, not necessarily making big changes, but just continue to fine tune and, um, the biggest thing for me is, is the consistency of my timing and direction. And um, I was focusing focusing so much on um, direction with my lower half, um, kind of lost sight of the upper half a little bit. 
And that's something that J.D. Laker and I talked about a little bit and been able to uh, work a little bit more on um, within down in Arizona now. So uh, it's been exciting, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always cool to see some progress and stuff like that, but I'm just excited to, to actually see it uh, with a, a pitcher thrown at me. So uh, it's, it's been a very good offseason and on and off the field. Let's go back to the end of last year. You were up with the big club, not on the field, but you were around for the last uh, couple weeks of the season. What do you take away from that experience last year? Yeah, uh, that was a great experience for, for me, Logan, and uh, Cal, and just kind of seeing how uh, how it's kind of run up there. Because obviously, you see it from a spring training perspective and everything, but to, to get up there and see how guys are still going about their business in the last season was, was very impressive and uh, very cool to be around and just sit in some hitters' meetings and um, see how they break down pitchers and um, stuff like that. Also, uh, seeing what they did pregame defensively. Uh, you know, it's the last week of the season, they're still out there taking their early ground balls and um, just see that the work they put in was uh, was incredible, and uh, you know, excited to be part of that. Hopefully, in the future here soon. When everybody talks about uh, you, Evan, the first thing they talk about, you know, this guy is is ready for the big leagues uh, defensively. Uh, how did you get so good defensively at at your position? Right now, you're one of the best in the minor leagues, and I think eventually you're going to be one of the best in the major leagues. First off, thank you. Um, but the uh, the biggest thing for me is just just obviously putting the work in and practicing. And I've always enjoyed taking ground balls and then doing pigs and stuff like that. And um, it's also a testament to my parents growing up. And uh, you know, my dad, if if we're watching TV or something, having an old tennis ball and throwing me picks in the house, and uh, mom taking me out out back and you know rolling me grounders and right. whatever it might be. Um, but just just stuff like that and just just getting the work in, and genuinely enjoying the work and uh, having fun with it. I think has been the biggest key to it. You know, obviously, a lot's talked about your defense, you know, and your offense as well. But you know, you mentioned growing up. You mentioned sitting there watching games with your dad. Uh, are there players? Were there players? Is there a single player that you sort of modeled your game after, either offensively or defensively? Who are some of the guys that you really uh, respected as you were growing up watching this game? Yeah, I don't think there's one specific person I really modeled my game after. Um, the guys, you know, I really liked growing up. Obviously, I played first base and, you know, pretty much had my entire life. And so Joey Votto, um, Albert Pujols, and uh, even Eric Hosmer. Um, Hosmer is more of a, a guy I guess I would compare myself to, like, kind of model my game after growing up a little bit. Just um, good defense. Obviously, all those guys are very good defensively, very good at the plate. Um, just move a little better, I think, Hosmer. Um, I guess I guess Votto moves as well. And I'm, you know, kind of put my foot in my mouth because I just keep talking. <laughs> um, but I, I really think those three guys are the biggest. Um, I, I, I watched a lot and um, always enjoyed watching. I, right now, I really enjoy watching Paul Goldsmith and just what he does, um, not only offensively and defensively, but on the base path as well. We enjoyed watching you from afar last year and, and the progress that you and Arkansas made. For Mariner fans that haven't seen you play or some of your minor league teammates play, who are another guy or two that you played with this year that Mariner fans should be very excited about? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, honestly, the first two guys, uh, Cody Meyer, Donnie Walton, which you guys obviously got to see a little bit, and uh, Jordan Cowan, and uh, also another middle infielder on the Dallas and Arkansas. And just those two guys where they go about their business every day and not only are they great on the field, but just you know, seeing them work off the field and seeing how their mind works around the game and stuff like that. Not only are they you know physically talented, but IQ wise, they're uh, they're awesome to be around. They they make uh, everyone else better around them. So uh, very fortunate to play with those guys up to middle this year. Evan, uh, you were part of that uh, as you just talked about that uh, Arkansas ball club that had I think about eight all stars on the team. But 
in the organization. Jerry Depoto's done a great job really loading up the organization with talented young players with the trades he made from a few years ago. And I think there's about, this year, 23 All-Stars down in the minor leagues, including yourself. For you, what, what's it like to be a part of this wave of young talent heading to the big leagues with this organization right now? Because we saw a lot of it uh, you know, already this year. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. Um, you know, those guys that, that we brought in for your draft or, or trade whatever it might be is, um, first off, they're great people. You know, honestly, this organization, the guys that they're filled up, not only are they great ball players, but they're, they're great guys off the field as well. Um, and what, what it really does, I think, is, is just pushes you, um, you know, you know, see guys like Jared Kelly come up and Cal Riley and Logan Gilbert, those guys that see how they work and um, it just motivates you to, to be the best version of yourself day in and day out. Um, I think that's been the, the biggest thing for us as uh, we go forward. And I think it's going to continue to be. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun watching you guys at uh, spring training. I want to find out a little bit more about Evan White. Let's go back to your days growing up in uh, Gahana, Ohio, near uh, Columbus. Is that right? Yes, sir, Gahana. Gahana. Uh, were you a big, obviously, uh, Buckeye fan? And uh, who was your favorite team? Were you the Indians fan, Reds fan growing up there in, in, in Ohio? And who were some of your favorite players as a kid? Yeah, uh Definitely a big Buckeye fan, and my wife, uh, she she might be a little bigger Buckeye fan than I am, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, it's always fun getting back there and being there around uh, everything during football season. Um, but I actually grew up a Reds fan, um, Reds Bengals. Um, you know, baseball wise, some of my favorite players is um, like I said earlier, Joey Votto, um, Ken Griffey Jr. Obviously, and it worked out well. He's a Mariners and a Reds guy. <laughs> oh yeah. So, uh, <laughs> For sure, for sure. And then uh, pitching-wise, I always enjoyed watching that. Mike Leak, I know he was, um, sure. you know, not not too much older than me, but I liked watching him, uh, you know, about high school age and just seeing him work. And, um, but there's, there's countless guys. Barry Larkin, um, you know, just really enjoyed watching uh, those guys growing up. I spent two years in Columbus with the Clippers, and I also did Ohio State football for two years, Evan. So uh, I'm a big buck up. Wow, did too. not know that. Yeah, 81, 82, long before you were even born. Son. <laughs> Earl Bruce was the head That's coach. Awesome. He took over from Woody, and uh, they they still had some great uh, great football teams. So it's uh, great to have you in this organization. I'm really excited about the future for you and, and all the young players here. Hey, Evan, how much did uh, college baseball help your progression as a, a ball player? I think it was huge for me, and just just uh, you know playing against that level of competition, and very fortunate being in the SEC, and you know facing guys like Alex Fiedo, Tanner Houck, and you know Casey Mize, guys that are doing well and, and pro balls well, uh, Kyle Wright, and just just kind of you know learning what it takes to, to compete against those guys day in and day out, and um, you know, you're facing Vandy, and they got three three first rounders you know coming at you during the weekend rotation. And, um, just make sure, not only physically, but, but mentally, you have to be prepared for those things as well. So I think uh, it was just a, a great learning experience for me. And, and also just getting physically stronger and, and kind of knowing what it takes to, to last a longer season. And obviously college isn't nearly you know, as long as, as the uh, pro season. Um, but just kind of understanding your body and, and continuing to learn. And um, that's also been the biggest thing once getting the pro balls, just building off those things. But um, it, was, it was an incredible experience for me, and it was definitely the right thing for me. And, um you know, I'm sure it's it's the right fit, right thing for a lot of guys out there. Uh, obviously, some guys are right out of high school, but uh, I, I definitely recommend college for uh, for most players. Well, Evan, I tell you what, uh, you're in store for an exciting spring coming up here in the next uh, few weeks. I know you're chomping at the bit as we are to see yourself and so many young players uh, this spring. 
Uh, we wish you all the best this year. We'll see you in the next couple of weeks. And we want to thank you for being on the uh, Hot Stove Show tonight. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, looking forward to seeing you guys soon. You're welcome. Mariners first baseman Evan White. And now coming up next, we're going to visit with the new head trainer for the Mariners. His name is Kyle Torgerson. We'll be back with Kyle as Hot Stove continues after these messages. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And welcome back to our 710 ESPN Sports Studios. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Dan the Man Wilson. And right now here in the first hour, we have a chance to visit with uh, the Mariners' new head trainer. His name is Kyle Torgerson. He grew up here in the Northwest, grew up in Edmonds, went to the University of Washington, played ball at Bellevue College for a couple of years, and he takes over as a head trainer for the ball club. Kyle, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Great to have you here, and congratulations on the new opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really appreciate ha- you guys having me. Um, I'm super excited to be back to Seattle, and uh, yeah, thank you. I've got to ask you, growing up here in the Northwest, was Dan Wilson your favorite <laughs> player Come on, Rick. growing up as a kid? Dan's listening, so. I mean, <laughs> I can't, uh, like, when I was growing up, I never thought I was going to be a catcher, but Dave Valley and Dan Wilson, both those guys, holy crap, like, <laughs> you guys were a big, a big impression for me to be a 10-year-old playing playing ball, so, yeah. That's awesome. Well, you, good choice on Val, I'll say that. <laughs> and, and, but, uh, Kyle, I mean, yeah. what is it like, I mean, you know, I know as a player, uh, had I been given the opportunity, I grew up in the Chicago area to, to play for the White Sox or play for the Cubs. That would be something that's that's pretty special. But for you, uh, obviously, growing up here uh, in, in the Northwest, in the Seattle area, uh, what is it? You know, what are all the emotions going through right yeah. now? That the fact that you've you've got this job here, it's your hometown team, and and uh, you're ready to get started. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've always tried to be like, I, this is a big a big opportunity for me to be a like part of the team, part of the Seattle Mariners. Um, I, I don't know. It's a difference between being a player and being an athletic trainer because athletic training is so much different. Um, as a player, that's what I thought I always was going to be. Um, as an athletic trainer now, it's just coming in and being, being uh, part of the development of the players and just making an impact on the players. So I don't know if that really asks, answers your question but uh it's 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 pretty special to me for sure tell us about your journey when did you know that uh, this is something you wanted to do yeah it's been a long time so i played baseball up through college obviously through bellevue and then i went out to northeastern university for the fall season um i quit for personal issues injuries slash um you know being away from home came back to the UW and I I actually graduated my senior year not knowing what I was going to do my senior year after that I was like holy crap what am I am I going to go to grad school for for something other than athletic training now I finally found athletic training and uh um I ended up going to grad school for athletic training and building into um, uh, the Kansas City Royals and then went to the Arizona Diamondbacks and then, you know, being with the Arizona Diamondbacks for seven years, went into 
this this next year. So, I mean, it's been pretty crazy, um, but it's been a good a good journey for sure. Kyle, uh, when I started in the minor leagues in 1975, uh, basically training was uh, roll some tape on an injury, rub some dirt on it, and go out there and get them. You know, it's it's changed yeah. down down through the years. How has how much and where and what capacity has your job changed as far as being a head trainer? Right. That's now? a great question. I think from when I thought when I went into athletic training, I was like, hey, I'm just going to tape ankles, no problem. Um, from Tampa and Ankles, now I know that there's a. I mean, it's. I don't even know how how yeah. deep do you want me to get it to get right now because there's positioning, there's how much core exercises to shoulder exams, and I mean it gets so deep, and that's the big passion. I had a conversation with some of our. Um, so I'm out in uh, Peoria with our our. Um, our gas camp right now. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, about, you know, velocity and trying to get guys to get better. And I'm having conversations with our, um, some pitching coaches and pitching coordinators and, and they're talking about, um, you know, positioning and all that type of stuff. It's like, okay, can that guy load his back hip? That's the type of stuff I'm about mm-hmm. biomechanics. I love that type of stuff and trying to incorporate that stuff with our pitching coaches and everything. So, um, you know, from from taping ankles to me being able to impact a pitcher with his ability to load his back hip, like that's the stuff I'm passionate about for sure. So along those same lines, then you know, I, I think about baseball. You know, from a perspective as a player, and and how much the analytics has changed, how much the information has changed, um, uh, how much technology has changed the game. But you know, it's got, I know it's the same athletic training and and very similar to what you're talking about like how have those things impacted athletic training because because as a player it's it's incredibly different now um but is is that true of athletic training from from when you got started oh for sure yeah i mean i think the the conversations have changed i think is the most the biggest thing because we've always take taken like range of motions whether it's internal rotation external rotation of an of a shoulder or IRER of your hip. Um, I think taking all those, those numbers, not only have we always done it, but now it actually impacts the conversations and, and what pitchers, catchers, position players are doing on the field. Like a, a hitting coach or a pitch coach may came to come to us and ask, Hey, I don't think this guy's getting in his back hip. What do you think? And like, oh yeah, like let me look at his numbers, and he he might be limited, or or what, whatever you might ask. Like, I can make an impact, which is really cool because now if I can make a change with a stretch or something I can do in the training room, now he can impact, or I can impact the way he presents on the field. So, um, those are some pretty cool um, conversations that are happening now, and um, I think it's only transitioning into more collaboration between you know hitting coaches pitching coaches trainers strength coaches managers everybody's working together now and it's it it's really cool to be part of um it's really cool to be i I don't know just transitioning into this field of collaboration versus just being in silos which i think 
for lack of a better term, is old school. And and we're transitioning in a really cool period right now. I'm guessing you watch baseball a little differently than we watch it or fans watch it. When you're in the dugout watching a game, what kind of things are you looking at? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I look at two things, um, whether we're on offense or defense. I always look at the back hip of the pitcher, um, which is kind of funny. I, not necessarily the result of the pitch, but I always look at what he's doing in the backside. Um because that can tell you a lot with whether he's dipping or he's fatiguing or if he if he's transitioning into something that's maybe not necessarily good and uh, the back hip can tell you a lot about a pitcher. Um, for a hitter, I always look at his um, well whether it's back hip but maybe his hands, um, seeing whether he's he's doing something different with with way as he's tracking his hands. Um, uh, maybe the best answer to that question is sometimes I'll just look at the velo of the pitcher as well, because as a trainer, which might sound a little weird, to everybody who, who may be listening is that if you speak, if you see a spike in the pitcher's velo, that's actually a concern to me. Um, because if he's sitting 94, 94, 94, and all of a sudden he's sitting 96, 97, 98, and it's the same outing. You're like, ooh, yeah. that speaks a little concern to me because he's torquing his elbow a little bit more. You might see an injury. Um, so, I mean, that might be the most interesting thing that I would look at because I'm looking at the velo. I'm like, ooh, that doesn't look good. <clears throat> well, Kyle, I'll tell you what. Uh, congratulations on the new job. Uh, congratulations on being a part now of the Mariners organization, and you're going to fit right in with Robbie Nodine and Matty Toth and Ryan uh, Bitzel and James Clifford and the entire medical staff here in Seattle. We're happy to have you here and welcome back home, buddy. We'll see you down at spring training here in the next few weeks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I uh, I appreciate the time. You're welcome. Kyle Torgerson, the new head trainer for the Seattle Mariners. And coming up next here on uh, Hot Stove, we're going to visit with Brian McTaggart, who is from MLB.com down in Houston. So we got some questions for Brian. We'll be back with more here on Hot Stove right after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, single-game tickets are on sale right now, which means you can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of 2020, including opening day. Series against the Yankees, Phillies, and World Series champion Washington Nationals, plus more fireworks show than ever before. Stop by Mariners.com today. Rick Riz along with Gary Hill and Dan Wilson. We have a very special guest on right now here in the first uh, hour of Hot Stove tonight. His name is Brian McTaggart from MLB.com. Covers the uh, Houston Astros and the big news over the last couple of weeks. Uh, General Manager Jeff Lunau getting fired. Uh, Manager A.J. Hinch getting fired along with Alex Corey in Boston. And Carlos Beltran, also the new manager, fired by the New York Mets with the cheating scandal that went on over the last uh, couple of years. So, Brian, thanks for coming on the program tonight. Good news today was the Hall of Fame, so we got away from that story for a while. But what in the world is going on with the Astros right now? How in the world do they recover? Who's going to manage the team and who's going to be the GM? So I'll kind of leave it out there for a, a bunch of things right now, Brian. Yeah, those are some uh, big questions. Yeah, we're we're three weeks from the start of spring training, and yeah, they're without a, a GM, without a manager, and really sort of a 
you know, an unusual situation. I mean, they are in the thick of the managerial interviews right now. Mm-hmm. Owner Jim Crane is doing uh, at least one interview a day pretty much for the last week or so. Uh, Dusty Baker was in here a couple of days ago. They're going to have Jeff Bannister tomorrow, of course, formerly the Rangers. Buck Showalter, John Gibbons um, have interviewed as well. Will Venables interviewed as well. So um, they're trying to get as many guys as they can and, and, you know, see who wants to, you know, kind of enter a firestorm because this is a team that I think for the foreseeable future, wherever they go, there's going to be a cloud over them. I think the fans are going to give them a hard time. Um, it's just going to be something they're going to have to wear just with the report coming out that they, they stole signs electronically in 2017, the year they won the World Series, and then into 2018. So, you know, a lot of those players are still on this team. So it's it's just going to be a weird uh, a weird dynamic for sure. But they want to get the, the managers filled first just because they're so close to spring training. They just want to get the staff finalized, kind of get a vision for spring training, and then get the GM in place. You know, that's probably going to take a couple more weeks. We might be in Florida before that happens. But, you know, the roster is set for this year. Um, they do have a really, really good team coming back. I mean, the Astros could make another run at the World Series despite losing Garrett Cole. I mean, they're still really good. So, yeah, just been a really unusual offseason. And that's the interesting thing to look at in this situation, the short-term versus long-term. Because you point out, I mean, the Astros are a World Series contender, no doubt about that. I think they're the favorites for the division once again. But you look at the scenario, you look at the list of managers that are being interviewed, they don't seem to match up with the front op- former front office approach, but not only is Luno no longer there, a couple of other assistants are no longer there. So that dynamic, I think, is pretty interesting when you look at it. And you know, at the end of the season, there's some big decisions coming with Springer, uh, free agency on the horizon, and Correa as well. Short-term versus long-term how do you think they are looking at this situation, which is so tricky? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, they're going to be in a, a tough spot after this year. I mean, I think we all knew this year that the window is going to be wide open for them to contend again. But like you said, after 2020, um, Springer is going to be a free agent. In fact, their entire outfield is going to be a free agent. Springer, Brantley, Josh Reddick could all be gone. And then year after that, now, now you're looking at Verlander and Granke, your two aces, and Correa as well. So the payroll is already through the roof. I mean, they're already past the luxury threshold right now. I and mean, if you remember last year, they gave Alex Bregman a huge extension. The year before that, Alex, uh, Jose Altuve got a huge extension. You know, they re-signed Verlander two years, $66 million before last year, traded for Granke, and he's making $30 million plus. So there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in the payroll, so they're not going to be able to keep all of these guys. And I think the biggest challenge going forward is to try to build through a farm system that has sort of been depleted the last few years. I mean, the Astros got to where they are in part because of their farm system, picking number one, you know, doing very well internationally. But they've traded away a lot of their chips in the last few years to get Derek Cole, to get Verlander, to get Granky. And now their farm system, as far as the depth of the talent, has slipped again, probably to the bottom half, maybe bottom third. And now you're without your first and second round draft picks the next two years because MLB took those away. So that's going to just make it even that much harder, I think, for them to rebuild their farm system. So the new GM is going to come in, and it's it's going to be a, a fun year, I think, for him in 2020. But after that, he really has his work cut out for him. Brian, you've mentioned Garrett Cole a couple of times. And, and as a former catcher, being able to, to watch him, uh, particularly late September on into the playoffs where he was just dominant and just so locked in, uh, how, how do you replace that? I mean, that, that is such a, a huge piece of the starting staff that has gone. Like, what is the, the Astros' plan? How do you fill those shoes in the upcoming season? 
Yeah, well, I don't think you can. I mean, the the last two thirds of the season that he had, when he you know he made I think sixteen uh, or oh, twenty two starts and didn't lose, uh, won sixteen consecutive decisions. I mean, he was just unbelievable. You can't replace that. I think it was pretty clear when they traded for Zach Greinke at the trade deadline last year that Cole was probably gone. There was no way they could afford to keep both of those guys. So I think Greinke steps up a little bit, fills some of those shoes. Astros are getting one of their key starters back next year, or this year, uh, Lance McCullers Jr. He had Tommy John surgery after the 18 season, so he was out all last year. He's completely healthy, and he's back, so he's going to step in. You know, Maybe he takes up some of Cole's slacks, maybe between those guys. Uh, but still, uh, with what Garrett Cole did from May 22nd on to the end of the year was uh, a run like I've never seen. It was just unprecedented how dominant he was and just uh, and into the playoffs uh, with one little hiccup. But he was just absolutely dominant for four or five months and was right there just short of the Cy Young Award with Justin Verlander. So I don't think they can replace it, but they still have a chance to have a very good rotation. Verlander is as good as ever. You know, Granke's still humming along at, uh, you know, 35, 36. I think McCullers can come in and do a nice job. And, there, and there's some younger guys that, um, you know, like Jose Arquiti, we saw him throw five shutout innings in game four of the World Series. He's got a promising arm. They traded for Austin Pruitt. So it's not the rotation they had a couple of years ago when they had Morton, Keiko, Verlander, Cole, um, you know, this deep uh, rotation. But it is good enough. And with the lineup, it's, uh, they should be able to contend. Visiting with Brian McTaggart from MLB.com, covering the Houston Astros and the big story a couple of weeks ago, a scandal over the cheating. And that, that's been something that's been going on in baseball. But players use their savvy, their expertise, and trying to steal signs and trying to get an edge. But this was a different story with the technology and even to bang it on a trash can. Um, how surprised were you, Brian? And when did you first hear about it? Because this was a shock to a lot of people in the baseball. Well, I first heard about it, I guess, shortly after the World Series ended. I mean, it was when uh, the, the report came out on the Athletic. I mean, we'd heard, you know, we'd heard things for a couple of years about the Astros. They had been written, you remember, in the playoffs against the Yankees. There was allegations that there was whistling going on. I think that was just gamesmanship. MLB investigated that. There was nothing. Um, you know, an Astros employee was caught filming the Indians dugout in the playoffs before the 28th, I think it was 20, 2018. Um, MLB investigated that. It was nothing. You know, other players have made whispers about the Astros. So stuff had been brewing for a while. But, you, you know, you're right. This happens. This goes on. And a lot of different teams do different things. So, mm-hmm. um, but when that story came out in the athletic, it was, it was a bombshell. And the thing that made it a bombshell is you had a, a former player, Mike Fires, coming out and saying this happened. And I think that's what really took the seriousness up and caught the attention of Major League Baseball and allowed them to open an investigation. And, and since then, it's just dominated the headlines for the Astros. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was sort, of, sort of shocking when the report came out a week ago Monday. I, I think we knew that Hinch and, and Luna were headed for suspensions. We knew they were going to lose draft picks. But when Jim Crane took it a step further and fired them, I, I mean, yeah. I think everybody in the room was just uh, really aghast and um, just, uh, just unprecedented punishment by MLB. And then the owner takes it a step further. I mean, it's been a glorious run for the Astros the last three seasons. I mean, two World Series, winning one of them, and the fans have come out. I mean, nearly three million the last couple of years. They seem to be caught up in, you know, they didn't do anything, obviously. I feel bad for the fans in this situation. What has been the fan reaction in Houston to all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's different factions. I think there's a lot of the fans are like, uh, you know, 2017 happened. They celebrated. You can't take it away from us. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and the, you know, the Yankees fans are getting involved with the Astros fans on social media. And, you know, it's kind of toxic, but I, I think there are some fans are, are disappointed that, that, uh, you know, MLB came out and sort of proved that, you know, this happened and, um, but there's nothing they can do. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're not going to take the, the championship away. It's there and it's, it's part of the Astros history. This is the golden era of Astros baseball. I mean, three consecutive 100 win seasons, three division championships in a row. I mean, they were eight outs, eight outs away from winning a second World Series. And now that's sort of been tarnished. I mean, people are going to have questions about that 2017 team for probably, um, as, as long as we're all on this planet. And, uh, you know, it's just something that I think fans are going to have to compartmentalize and deal with and the banner is going to be up there the rings the players are going to keep the rings but uh it's just something that um there's going to be whispers about it and you know i think what would really be best for the astros and the players of course it may be easy to say but if, if they come out this year and just just win another world series i mean that's really hard to do but if, if they i think they're going to be very highly motivated to show that you know they don't need to do this stuff to win yeah they did it why they did it i'm not sure we haven't really heard from the players yet but um uh, but if they can go out and, and win a World Series this year and, and sort of thumb their nose at everybody at the establishment and say, you know what, we did it here, we did it the right way, maybe it will give some credibility, more credibility to that 2017, uh, 2017 team as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Brian, you, when will you hear from the players with spring training just right around the corner, and, and how do the players as a team try to move forward and try to get through all this? Yeah, Astros had their caravan last week where they sort of go around the city and the state promoting the team, and it, it was mostly guys who weren't here in 2017 and, and their prospects. Uh, the one player, the veteran player that was on it was Josh Reddick, and you know he pretty much sidestepped questions, and then they had their, their fan fest on Saturday at Minute Maid, and again, it was mostly young players. Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were there, did mm-hmm. talk to the media, but you know yeah. neither one would really talk Say about anything, the report yeah. or the allegations, mm-hmm. so... Um, I think I think into spring training, I think we're going to see maybe the team get together in spring training and make some kind of statement before spring training gets started. I mean, I think somebody has to step up and say something because the report is there and it's true. And, uh, you know, some people have gotten fired. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's been a, a pretty impactful thing that was player driven. So I think it behooves the players to step up and say something. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be shocked if that doesn't happen. I don't know, individually, collectively. I don't know if they'll appoint a, a spokesman, but I think it should happen uh, early in spring training. Brian's a great follow on Twitter for anyone that wants to keep up with what's going on with the Astros at Brian McTaggart. Did I see? Did you track down Dusty Baker at the airport? Did I see that? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Good job. That's impressive. <laughs> you got him at the yeah, baggage carousel, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, he was at the baggage carousel. He had just flown into Houston from uh, his home in California. He was about to interview and. Uh, Asked him if he'd be willing to talk, and uh, I'd never met Dusty Baker, but everyone said he's one of the nicest humans on the planet, and he couldn't have been nicer. He said, sure, and so we sort of went out to the side, and he gave me five minutes, and uh, he was fantastic. And uh, I think the next day he made a really, really good impression on on owner Jim Crane as well. In fact, tonight Crane was in the awards banquet and uh, came out and said that Baker is at the top of the list as far as the guys that he's interviewed so far. And if you look at what Dusty Baker has done, um, you know, he, he managed Barry Bonds during all the steroid stuff. He's mm-hmm. managed four teams. He's a guy that's done everything. He's been through some turmoil. He could be exactly what they need. Exactly. Bring some integrity back and credibility. And, and a guy that's been around the game a long time knows how to get through a lot of tough situations. This is definitely a tough situation. Dusty, would I think, would be a great hire. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, tough time down in Houston. 
right now. We appreciate uh, your comments and uh, spending some time with us here on the hot stove tonight, buddy. All right. I appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you so much. Brian McTaggart from uh, MLB.com covering the Houston Astros. And we'll be back with more here on Hot Stove right after this time out.